it's time for another edition of Mets Musings. Hi, this is Ron Darling. Uh, this is Skip Lockwood. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. There's so many, I I lost count, but there's a ton of them. So uh, welcome back, and it is our holiday edition. Happy holidays to all of you out there, and thank you so much for sticking with us this past year, and uh, hope you'll stay in the future and tell your friends about Mets Musings. But uh, we have a lot to talk about. I know baseball's on strike, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of things to uh, talk about. But there are little things, especially where the Mets are concerned. And joining me today, I'm very excited to have on Mr. Anthony Rivera. He is the host of a terrific podcast called Subway to Shea. Everybody should check it out. Anthony, welcome to Mets Musings. All right. I'm so excited, Gary. I can't believe we're on this, doing this now. Uh, very exciting time for the Mets this time of year, huh? That it certainly is. I mean, uh, you know, you would think that there's not a lot going on, but of course the Mets are in a managerial search and they've narrowed it down to uh, three uh, prospects. The first two, I guess the second one is being interviewed as we speak or later today. Uh, yesterday was, uh, I believe, Matt Quadraro. I think, you know, I think it's Quadraro. Quadraro, I think it is. Yeah. And uh, uh, Joe Espada was going today and Buck Showalter scheduled to go tomorrow. So uh, they're finally getting in the home stretch with this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's what it's been about two weeks and they've been pretty going down the line with this whole situation. I I think they've handled it pretty well, better than what we've seen in the past with the Wilpon. So these three finalists, I'm uh, pretty excited about. It seems to be a lot smoother and uh, not as jerking uh, around as the as you say, with the Wilpons did it, but uh yeah, I mean, we'll see. Do you have any particular picks out of those three that you'd like to see the Mets name? So it, whoever they choose, I'm going to go out there and support, and I'm actually okay with any of these three, to be honest right. with you. I think these are the – out of all of the candidates that they have, these are the three best that they could have choose from. So uh, – Either of them would work, but if I had to pick one and choose one, um, it's got to be Buck Showalter. Yeah, I think that's the, you know, I think most people are, uh, uh, you know, pulling for Buck Showalter and think he would be the best only because of his experience and, uh, you know, he can handle New York. He worked here with Steinbrenner, so if he can handle that, he can yeah. handle anything. Uh, I think where people get concerned with him and the Mets may be concerned about it, and that's the analytics. Now, 
I'm an old school guy, so I'm not big on analytics. So Show Walter would be my pick. But um, a lot of people, you know, they're they're deep into that analytics, and they think it could be a problem. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a lot of people who think that he can't follow along with the analytics. And, you know, I would think that if you were to hire him, that you would have to hire someone as his bench coach that's maybe more analytically, you know, diverse, kind of Mm -hmm. like how Terry Collins had Bob Guerin, who was more into the analytics than, you know, Terry was. Right. Uh, I don't feel that this should be the biggest issue, but it it is a concern. Actually, every candidate, every finalist has a concern, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Buck is, you know, more of the older school. Um, I know I see a lot of Twitter banter with a lot of the, you know, older fans and then the younger fans who are very into analytics. And I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of in between. I I think it needs to be a a fair share. Like I don't, I'm not opposed to analytics, but I also don't want there to be, you know, this problem where as if we need Jacob deGrom pitching 60 pitches in a big championship game to be pulled out early like Kevin Cash did to, you know, uh, Blake Schnell in the World Series. I don't want right. that. I don't I rather have the manager make the decision that costs the team than, you know, uh, numbers and papers on a, you know, on a computer making that decision. Right. I, so you like a combination. You want some old yeah. school and you want a manager that wants to use his gut every now and then and go against the book and uh, you know, I can remember Ralph kind of saying, uh, oh, he, you know, a manager would make a movie and say, oh, he's going against the book. Well, that's what analytics is nowadays. I mean, we they always had a version of it going back in time. It wasn't as uh, data-driven. It, they didn't have all the crazy numbers. Uh, and, and I think, uh, as you were saying, I think Showalter brings that mix – and, you know, that's a good, great idea to hire a bench coach that may be more familiar with it. But I, I think Showalter probably knows enough about it where he can sort through the BS and, yeah. you know, give them what's relevant. I, I think part of the problem the Mets have had over the last few years is I think they've been too handicapped by the, the data. I think there's been too much data. Uh, and and I'll say definitely this past year i felt like there was a handicap with the data i think they were doing too much because in the past they weren't doing enough uh, right the Wilpons never had a big enough team of analytics you know when everyone had like 30 or 40 people they had five or six people and now right. that they have all these people now it, it's it's overload and you would mm-hmm. see you know luis rojas in the dugout looking at the ipad the whole tire game, like it, it, there needs to be a, uh, you know, a medium for this. And uh, I, I think that, you know, it, you know, Buck is, he, he hasn't been a manager since what is it? 2018. That's not yeah. that long ago. And it's not like he's sitting at home and just, you know, contemplating, you know, Oh, this, we got to go back to the old school. I, I wish it was the old school days. He's very well diverse in in his knowledge of the game and i'm pretty sure that he would you know do his best to learn as much as he can mm-hmm. 
And uh, you know, and and he's been in, on MLB Network and stuff like that. So he's, you know, he he sees the data all the time. They they yep. see a lot of the data there for their stories and whatnot. And so I, I yeah, I I think he's he's gonna be on board with some of it. But I think there's gonna be a time where he's just gonna throw the iPad away and say, you know. Uh, I'm going to leave uh, DeGrom in that extra inning or uh, it's time to pull him out. I'm going to bring in somebody else. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, and I think that's what you really need. Uh, you made a great point with Kevin Cash, terrific manager, but I think he blew that World Series that game. He had Snell pitching brilliantly and uh, just, threw it away and what was it the fifth inning or something he pulled them and uh yeah the 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 thing was that the third time through the lineup was not very good for these guys but you know if he started to struggle i mean he he was through 76 pitches i mean why are you taking him out right now rest some of your you got to go to game seven rest as many people as you can because you need all hands on deck for that game why take him out so early? It just didn't make any sense for me. And, you know, as good as a manager as Kevin Cash is and as good as an organization as the Rays are as a whole with the analytics and keeping their team in first place, the one thing that I will always remember is that game six because they're not world champions and they haven't won one. And the same thing goes for where analytics kind of I guess went to the next level, the money ball error with Billy Bean and, you know, can't spend all this money, but, you know, let's try to do all these numbers and see if we could get players. And and it went well, but, you know, he, ha- he has nothing to show for it. They don't have a championship. Nice. And that that's what the whole point is, right? The whole point is to mm-hmm. win a championship. And that haven't, they haven't done that. And I know Buck hasn't won a championship. Uh, that That's the biggest thing people bring up about him when they're detractors is that, you know, he's been in here 20 years and he doesn't have a championship. Well, there's a lot of managers that are really good that don't have championships. This is the hardest sport to win a championship in. They play over 162 games a year. Things are going to happen, whether it's an injury or even in 86, the Red Sox were going to win the World Series and a little, you know, miracle error happened and things changed. Like it, baseball has so many elements to it. And to combine them all together with the analytics and the, I, I say the eye test is probably the best way to go. And, and as you say, you know, uh, it's not easy to win a championship. I mean, look, uh, show Walter, what was it? 95. He loses in the playoffs, gets fired from the Yankees. And then they went on that great run with Tory. you know, we don't know, but you have to assume that they would have performed equally as well with Showalter, so he could be the the guy with all of those titles, you know, yeah. uh, under his belt now instead of Tory. But you don't know, and and you know, there's been a lot of terrific managers, as you said, that just haven't won. Dusty Baker's another guy. Look, his teams are always there, and yet uh, he's got this rap. He can't win the big one. You know what? I'll take him if he's going to get my team there with a chance uh, to win. You know, um, they used to say you're young, but I don't know if you remember the Buffalo Bills and in, in with Marv Levy. They went to four straight Super Bowls and they said, oh, but they never won. 
try going to four straight. It's not easy. Yeah. And and you know to be that dominant in your your league and to get there and oh and be this close. Uh, I'll take that. I mean, I want to win. Don't don't get me wrong. But you know, I'll take that at any time because uh, you have to be at that point to win. So uh, I'm I agree with you. I think uh, Walter is probably. I think he's the best pick for this team the way it's currently constructed. Yeah, and there's it's it's the more than just managing, right? He's got to control the clubhouse, which to me last year was not really the best. As much as they said that, you know, Luis Rojas had the players' backs and they had his, you know, when we get to the end of the season, we find out really, you know, from Chili Davis's interview on in the New York Post, we find out what really happened there. You know, this is a a, a guy who can handle the clubhouse can handle the media, which has been needed for a while now because obviously Mickey Calloway and Luis Rojas really just, I just think they didn't have it for, you know, New York. And now you're going to ask, you know, if, if you do go to them, you're asking Joe Espada who, yeah, he had some time in New York, but just as a, you know, a third base coach. coach. And then you're going to ask Matt Quattraro to come in here from Tampa, very relaxed down there, not a lot of media and now talk to the media on a consistent basis, deal with all the rumors and have to talk about Steve Cohen, who probably tweets something out there. Then that, that, that's a big part of this whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Having Showalter be able to do that is a big part. And I, I've seen, a, you know, there's been a lot, you mentioned it, how he came from the Yankees, right? They almost won the World Series in 94 if there wasn't a lockout. That mm-hmm. team was really good. So, you know, then he goes to 95, they get rid of him. He takes an Arizona Diamondbacks expansion team and, you know, brings them to the playoffs within one or two years. And then they win the World Series and he's gone. He goes to Texas, which basically had A-Rod and Chanho Park, where they spent the most money and they couldn't get anyone else. And he made them, you know, a winning team. And then a few Mm -hmm. years later, they're in the World Series. Mm -hmm. Then the biggest problem is everyone keeps talking about him not putting in Zach Britton in Baltimore uh, during that playoff game. I mean, would Baltimore have been in the playoffs at all if it wasn't for Buck Walter? They were going on, I think it was 13, 14 years, haven't gone to the playoffs. Like, we're talking right. about Ripken days that they haven't went to the playoffs, and Buck took them there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's got – he may not always have a winning season, but, you know, Buck is a grizzled veteran. And I think he, uh, I think he is the guy for the job. But like I said, even with the other two, I, I wouldn't be upset. But I, I would want Buck to be the one leading this team at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and and don't forget with with Buck as well, the ownership that he had in Baltimore is notoriously. Um, Wilpon ish, maybe. <laughs> they're, uh, they're tight fisted. And uh, so, he, you know, there's some of that, that that he ran up to the last couple of years. He probably could have done better there. And, um, but uh, I guess we'll find out next week for sure. They said they wanted it, was they were going to try to name it by this Friday, but it doesn't. If if he's being interviewed tomorrow, it doesn't look like that will happen. So we'll probably yeah, I, I sometime. Think, 
I think Monday, the earliest. I think this mm-hmm. weekend he's going to take the winner out to dinner or something like that during the weekend, <laughs> and then we'll know at least by Monday or sometime earlier on in the week of uh, who the manager is going to be. And he's got a lot of work to do because he's got to uh, put together a staff. Of course, we don't know when he'll need to get into action because he can't talk to any players. Yeah. Uh, but he's got to put together a staff other than a pitching coach. Uh, Hefner coming back as the pitching coach, so that that's a done deal. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see which direction he goes, how much say he has with that. And I, I would think because he's a veteran manager, he'll have a little bit more say than a first-time manager would, uh, yeah. again, other than the pitching coach. But um, Mets have, have made a lot of moves this offseason so far before the uh, CBA, uh, CBA re-expired. Re- uh, and uh, so what do you think of the moves that they made so far? Mostly free agent signings, no trades as of yet. And uh, we'll see once the uh, agreement is reached, when they, when, whenever they reach it. Um, how do you feel about the signings that they've done so far? I think the Mets handled this offseason the best possible way you could, right? They had half the roster was going to be lost you know, due to free agency, they have a depleted farm system. So they really couldn't go after any um, players with the qualifying offer because that they would lose a draft pick. They have all these draft picks now ready for the draft, whether it's next year or a couple in the year after. They have all these draft picks that they can now, you know, reestablish their farm system. And then they go out and sign guys, very quality driven guys in Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar and, you know, the star of the outfield, Starling Marte, all guys with speed, all guys that get on base. And that's what the Mets need. I think the Mets needed some fresh faces in here from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Michael Confortos of the world. It needed to change. It des- desperately needed to change. Well, I like Michael <laughs> Porto. I wish they would have signed him, uh, only because I think they've ruined him. Uh, I, I think I think he was a guy that the analytics was just too much. I think it was too much at him, and he changed the entire way he hit. You know, I remember him in Brooklyn, and and he hit the ball all over the field, and and he popped it for power. And uh, I, you know, uh, I remember talking uh, to Tom Gambino as manager, and he was surprised how. Uh, first, he was surprised at his defense, and then uh, his uh, uh, his offense and and the power that he had. And I think they've continuously worked on him. And I think Chili Davis was a good influence on him. Once Chili Davis left, I think. Well, he had a lot of problems last year. I mean, it started with the COVID, then he had the hamstring, and uh, so it was a mess. But uh, I, I think the he was one of those guys that the analytics worked on. But I think, as you say, I, I think they needed some fresh blood, some injection. Uh, you know, Lindor obviously didn't do it, and then Baez didn't do it, and then the two of them getting together and with the thumbs down and all of that stuff, 
you know, it's not a good way to start your career off here in New York. And so uh, I think that hurt a lot. But, um, yeah, I like I liked the moves, too. Uh, they still need to make some more moves. I think they will. Mm-hmm. I, def- I definitely think they will. Uh, just to go back to Conforto, last year I was all for him getting his big contract. Mm-hmm. I actually preferred him to get signed besides the door because you could have gone after any shortstop during this offseason. There wasn't right. a big, you know, plethora of outfielders to go after. So I, I wanted him to get the contract. And then he had the big struggle, you know, throughout the entire season. And I, I didn't feel that he earned that huge contract. I mean, because to be fair, I think he's been pretty, you know, a, a straight of the line, mediocre player before last year. And that was only a half season that I, I don't feel like he did enough. Uh, I, I just don't think that he did enough to earn, you know, this contract coming this year. And if you could see besides that last you know, inning that last out, you know, he never got the fanfare like he was leaving, like a David Wright did or right. like a Mike Piazza did. You know, he didn't get that fanfare. He was always, you know, coined to be the leader following David Wright. I never really got that from him. Last year, he kind of disappeared from the media. He never really talked. And I, I kind of felt like Pete Alonso took over that role when he was gone. And even Lindor talked for a little bit. Um, to the media. And I, I felt like Conforto just went to the back of the line and, and really didn't really didn't show as much that he wanted to be here. Uh, th- I mean, that's just the feeling that I got from him. That that's just my opinion. But if they mm-hmm. even brought him back, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just, he's not worth the hundred million that Scott Boris wants to give him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get that now though. I really don't, but I, I could see a team giving him, uh, you know, a three-year, forty-five or something, yeah. something like that, and that makes sense. And, and uh, you know, if that's the case, the Mets should try to get in on it. I mean, they still could use another outfielder, so yeah. Uh, and then Canna the, can go to the bench. That there you go. You got a good mm-hmm. bench piece off of there. Um, right. I they don't. They can, and they'll be a big part of trade talks. Is the, the McNeils and the J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. But if they're coming off the bench, you could have a whole lot worse than that. So, you know, the Mets always struggled with putting together a bench. They had a good one last year. I don't know if Jonathan VR is coming back or not or what they're going to do on that end. You got Tomas Nito is a very serviceable backup catcher. Um, But then, you know, you if you have Davis McNeil and um, and and Dom Smith, then I think that that's not the worst thing in the world is to have those guys. But, uh, you know, I, I do see the Mets spending more. Uh, I think it was mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, where, you know, even though they were signing Max Scherzer, they were still going off the, after Kevin Gossman. And that's a lot of money that they were about to spend. So I think they're going to spend that somewhere else, whether it's getting a Chris Bryant now transitioning to, you know, the offense, or if they mm-hmm. go after Carlos Rodon or something like that. I, I think they're going to spend some money. They still need, also need a lefty in the bullpen. One or two would be great, but they do need to shore up the bullpen. They're not done spending. And you mentioned some of the trade candidates. I mean, the the obvious ones, Dominic Smith, J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil. um, 
And people say, well, if you get rid of McNeil, who's going to play second? Well, I guess that's the 900-pound elephant in the room is Robinson Cano. Uh, you know, he's going to come back unless he has another failed drug test. Uh, but he's going to be back this year. What do they do with him? Yeah, I don't want him playing second base. I didn't think he was good playing second base even when they let him. I think he's just – his range is not good. So if mm -hmm. he, they just put him at DH, I'm fine with that. If they release him, it is what it is. Uh, that was a, a terrible trade to begin with. And, um, yeah, he, he, that's going to be a big issue going into spring training. But I, I guess the assumption is is that he is going to play second base because they didn't re-sign Javi Baez. Well, if they don't sign – yes. And if they don't sign a guy like Bryant – um, would you ever consider moving him to third base, Cano? Uh, no. You don't? No? no I, I mean, he, so. he doesn't have to move. It's less range. Um, I'd rather have McNeil get his reps at, at third. third base. Yeah, because him and I, – I don't know if they're over their issues, but him and Lindor did not mesh well. Yeah. Well. As the – you know, I, I've seen some good tandems together, you know, uh, Ordonez and and Alfonso and, and you could go on Reyes right. and whoever they put next to him uh, <laughs> Valentin or whatever uh, they, they had way better they meshed well better and I I just mm -hmm. I don't know I didn't like what I saw I don't know if it was the shifting or or what I, they were doing too much shifting but I I, I never want to see teammates go at it like that with each other it it just was wrong. I hope they get over whatever issue it was. I hope they were already over it. I don't know if just because the media brought it up at the end of the season, you know, we're back to talking about it again. But uh, uh, if 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 it's not um, McNeil playing second, he's I would put him at third and give him his reps down there. Mm -hmm. And then if we, as you say, if you get the DH and Cano is the DH, then then that leaves second for, uh, I guess, Gilorme, or will they give him a shot at second? Or uh, who do you think would be one of the obvious candidates? Uh, I don't know about – Gilorme didn't even get a lot of playing time this season. I thought he was going to get way more playing time than he did, and he kind of went you know, to the wayside after he got injured. Right, right. VR he was hitting well. He was, and and then uh, he got hurt, and then they just weren't using him as much as they used to, especially when Javi Baez came in. It was just Baez mm -hmm. and Lindor and, you know, Jonathan VR playing third. Mm -hmm. And no word on whether they, they signed him. His name hasn't even come up. You haven't heard anything about him. No, because uh, Eduardo Escobar is kind of like the, you know, I guess same. a better version mm -hmm. of what Jonathan VR is. Right, right. Uh, Max Scherzer signs. Uh, pitching staff is still a little short. You mentioned that, that they're looking at Gorsman. Uh What about the bullpen? I mean, they lost Aaron Loop, so that's a big loss for the bullpen. Um, not so much a big loss, but still a loss in a way. He had his moments. Henry, uh, Henry. Um, Familia will be uh, probably not coming back. So there's a couple of arms that they have to fill. I mean, you know, Drew Smith will be coming back from injury and uh, um, P 
Peterson will be coming back, hopefully, from his foot injury and probably uh, vie for the fifth starter. Uh do they have some young arms that that uh, are ready to move up and and get in the bullpen at least start in the bullpen? I I don't really know about where the the minors kids are. I, I heard someone say on Twitter if they could, you know, move Thomas Zapucky as a you know lefty option out of the bullpen. Maybe that's a way to go. I'm not opposed to bringing back Brad Hand. If maybe if, even better if it's on a minor league deal, just to have a lefty in the bullpen. I, I think you should always have two lefties in the bullpen because we saw once Aaron Loop, and thanks to analytics, only pitched five pitches sometimes and was taken out after one batter. We had no lefties coming out of the pen afterwards. So if they could have two out of the pen, that would be perfect. So if they even bring back Brad Hand, whether on a minor league deal or even a very small one-year deal, I'm okay with that. Andrew Chafin's out there. He had a really good year last year. He could be a possibility. Um, but Peterson and McGill, they need to start in the minor leagues in the rotation in AAA. They never got that you know, seasoning down there. They were brought up too early because of the injuries, and I want them pushed back down there and – working with, you know, the Jordan Yamamoto's of the world. And when Lucchese comes back and gets healthy, him as well. I, I was a little surprised that they got rid of uh, Gazelman. I didn't think that that was going to happen the way that it did. But uh, well, they still got Miguel Castro, Edwin Diaz, who, you know, not the biggest fan of. But if I was the Mets and he started pitching very well, I would look to trade him at the deadline if mm-hmm. they possibly could. And, and they got right. Seth Lugo, who I think is going to ba- have a bounce back here. But they, they need to sign a couple of my... I'm not so stuck on relievers. We've seen in the past, you know, reliever has a really good year. Next year, you know, he's terrible. I mean, the most durable of the relievers that the Mets have had was like Pedro Feliciano. Had such a good career as the Mets. And then they overused him. The Yankees got him. And then he got hurt. You know, how how many, you know, relievers really, you know, last that long and pitch very well? I mean, John Franco had his long career, but these guys are constantly changing. They're they're like, I feel like you insert one in, you take one out, you keep switching them around. Uh, None of the days where I hope they spend so much money on relievers like, you know, uh, this guy, uh, Sandy Alderson, bringing in a, a DJ Carrasco or one of the like. We got, we got to, every year should be, you know, they changing it up. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I even think the kind of the, the idea of the closer is even, uh, uh, you know, passing in the dust, as you say, people, you know, they use different people to close and you, know, you get to the playoffs, they're using starting pitches to, yeah. to close. So, uh, you know, why pay all that money just to one guy to close and then, if you do make to the playoffs, you're using your starters anyway. I'm actually uh, so surprised that analytics hasn't had like multiple people changing closers. I mean, they, they're so quick to take the starting pitcher out of the game. I'm surprised that they don't like switch closers point. here. Now look at mm-hmm. the Mets successful teams of closers, right? Franco and Benitez together, you know, one would get mm-hmm. a, a, a save chance to, and then they would switch it up. And then you also had McDowell and Jesse Orozco who was always changing. And I, I wouldn't be uh, upset if they did. So I thought that we would get Aaron loop 
as a closer at some points. But like they always went to Edwin Diaz and they never put him in a good situation. And the analytics tell you, you know, like if he's terrible in a certain spot, why is he in there pitching? Yeah, it's funny because the uh, and yet they say, well, he's the closer. But, you know, you're kind of contradicting yourself like you just yeah. said the, with the you're ignoring the analytics. But, uh, I, you know, we'll 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 have to wait and see. Unfortunately, um, any thoughts on this whole lockout? And uh, they just said today or yesterday that they're not going to discuss any hardcore money issues, I guess, until January, which means that they're not look well, we're only two weeks away. So I guess that's not uh, anything earth shaking, but they are talking about other issues. Um, I think the two big stumbling blocks are going to be the the. The uh, the possibly the draft and, and the free agency thing. Any thoughts on on the, the CBA at all? Right, because I know that they want the free agents to to get out a little earlier so they can make more money. Right, that's the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't I, want the sense. service. It it does make sense. Um, and the owners proposed an age uh, thing. I guess because the the union feels that guys are getting, you know, 32, 33, they're getting their first shot at free agency, some of these guys, and they're not going to get that big contract at that point, so they want it to be younger. Uh, but, But how do you figure that? I mean, if, you know, if a guy comes, and one of the examples was Juan Soto. He came up at 19. So if it was uh, 29 and a half, I think it's what the owners proposed, he'd have to stay with the, the uh, Nationals for 10 and a half years before he'd be eligible yeah. for a free agency, which now it's six years. Uh, but they don't like the six years either. The union, they want a shorter time. But, you know, you have to give the team something. I mean, you know, they put the investment in. They're working with the players and the minors. Um and and a guy like Soto is rare that a guy comes gets signed and you know practically goes right to the major league. So I, it's a tough issue. I I don't know what yeah. they can do about it. I think that, uh, and I don't know if Juan Soto signed any deal with the Nationals, but I think it's up to the Nationals, right, to to offer him a big deal like Fernando Tatis got offered in San Diego, isn't it? Like Tatis got what? 10 11 years after playing one or two years i mean yeah, where's that yeah. offer from the nationals and ownership who has so much yeah. money they should be yeah. taking care of their players that they want i don't know too much about see i mean we we don't know too much about seeing this because the mets never did that to any of their players right they mm-hmm. they always waited yeah. until last minute or never signed them at all like shouldn't pete alonzo have a big contract right now or even you know jacob de grom shouldn't they be long-term mets forever like look at I don't know if Tatis Jr. is going to stay forever uh, in San Diego and and continue to play there, but you know he got offered such a huge deal to stay there for so long. Like <laughs> we don't see that here in New York ever. Well, now we did with Lindor. That's the first one. Yes, Lindor is the first one. I don't know if it's the right one, but it was definitely <laughs> the first one. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't do the same thing with Bias. <laughs> I would never, you know. Yeah, that would have been uh, another. But like, I, 
and you got to think forward too, right? If you're offering Lindor this huge contract and you're offering Baez this huge contract and all these long years, you know, there, at a certain point, there comes a time where you need to re-sign Pete Alonzo. You're going to need to re-sign uh, Jacob DeGrom. So what they did this offseason with signing short-term deals, I thought was the perfect, perfect thing to do. I wish they did that more. If you're going to offer more money for short years, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. As they say, it, it, it's only money. I mean, yes. <laughs> you're not giving up your future. Um, one of their future guys that has come up a lot, though, in trade talks uh, could be Ronnie Maurizio, uh, only because shortstop is blocked with Lindor for the next 10 years. He's a shortstop. He's a big kid. He probably could move to third, but then again, third base may be blocked because two of their other top prospects are third basemen, uh, Mark Vientos and Brett Batty. Now, uh, this season, they played them in left field to give them some versatility, I guess, both Vientos and Batty uh, when... uh, I think when uh, Vientos played most of it, he started the year in double-A, had a very good year, went up to triple-A. I think it, in double-A, they uh, they had them both play left field for a while, uh, off and on when Batty got up there as well. But, um, uh, you know, Maurizio could be a piece that they could trade. I, I see a lot of people don't want to trade Maurizio for whatever reason it is that they like him, but where is he going to play? That's the big question that you brought up. Where do you put him right now? He's still playing shortstop. Are they going to move him at some point to second base or I, and I know Vientos is probably not going to play third base uh, long-term for the Mets. I I don't think they like really having him play a third. I think he's more of a, maybe they'll move him out to the outfield or he'll play DH or something, but I think third base will belong to Brett Beatty whenever he gets ready to come up. And he's been killing it down in the minors in the Arizona Fall League. He's been playing so well. So who knows? Maybe maybe they do trade one or two of these guys. But, uh, you know, with them, with the Mets making those short-term deals, there's a lot of room for these guys to get more seasoning. And by the time it's time for them to come up, they'll be ready to go. Because Cano's also, his contract's out in two years. So maybe he'll play second base. We don't know. So he's got this year and next year. Is that it with Cano? Yeah. Oh, boy. If they keep him. That's a lot of money to cough up, though, just to release the guy, though. Yeah, that's the problem. Everyone wants to release him, but you're still paying him the money. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. Unless he's Uh, awful or he gets caught again, then he's done with his first career. (laughs) That's just going to get him less of he spikes his lemonade or something. Yeah. So it is a, a, a lot of money, but in two years, he'll be gone. You know, the Eduardo Escobar contract will be done. So will Canna's contract be done? And, you know, we're looking at a whole bunch of new players to have to bring on board. Well, uh, but as you say, the, the, these guys like Oviento may be ready by then to come up. Uh, Beatty may be as well. Uh, you know, he, he's going to be start the year double A. So he could, if he continues to hit the way he's hit so far, he could be ready in two years. Um, yep. So it could be an interesting, you know, it, it could be finally the 
kind of progression we've been looking at for years that never seemed to happen. You know, it uh, it happened a little bit in the pitching staff, but uh, they got knocked back in the 90s with the K generation that never yeah. panned out. And at least these guys sort of panned out. I mean, they did get to a World Series with Syndergaard and and uh, DeGrom and, and uh, Nice and all those other... Uh, not Nice. Um, who am I thinking of? Matt? Uh, yes, Matt. Thank you. Um, see what happens when you get old? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we can only hope. We can only hope that they negotiate and they get this darn contract so we can have more substantial talks about baseball. Well, the good thing is, is that it's happening during the off season, right? 94, it happened during the middle of the season. They have to cancel the rest of the season. At least now they have a few months to do this, but I don't sense urgency, right? There's no urgency from the union or urgency from Manfred and, you know, MLB. I'd be working on this until Christmas Eve. Like, why are you not talking? Why did, I think it was uh, the day before they went into the lockout, they met for 45 minutes and then they canceled and said, we're not doing anything else. Yeah. How, how, what, where do we get that far? in a me- Like, I would love to be a fly on the wall on, on these <laughs> meetings to see what it took for these guys to, you know, both get out and say, yeah, we're done for the day. Like, if you really want this stuff to happen, First off, you got to meet in the middle and 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 get some issue. Like MLB is going to get some things that they want, and then the players are going to get some things they want. Not everyone's going to get what they want here. So I, I, they should have been sitting there drafting and working together this whole time. This is like just like when we had them them come back during the pandemic. How long it took them to devise a plan on how this was going to go and how many exactly. playoff teams we're going to have. Why is baseball always having such a hard time, you know, making things work, not only for their players, but for the fans, right? Look at what Mm -hmm. has happened over the last couple of weeks with this lockout. They took the players' pictures off of the website. Was it necessary to do that? But still (laughs) on top of that, the owners and the teams are making money selling merchandise of the players. Right. I just don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I it, it, it's a strange deal going on and and I don't think we're ever going to make any sense of it, but um I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been terrific and I hope we can do it again when Absolutely. we have more news. Uh tell the folks a little bit about your podcast. Oh, well, I host uh well, I don't know if anyone people are going to see this, right? So, some yes. way to say <laughs> There's the little mantle right there, the Subway to Shea podcast. I've been doing it since last year, since last November I started. And it's uh, been getting quite the following. I'm on Twitter at Subway to Shea, Instagram at Subway to Shea. And, you know, I've been covering the Mets all year, doing my best. I've done a couple interviews. I got an interview with Glendon Rush out there. I interviewed uh, Nick Davis. He's the director of Once Upon a Time in Queens. That was a really fun interview that I did. And, you know, I like to talk with all the fans on Twitter. I do um, a Twitter spaces, which is, you know, kind of like a, a little talk and have fans chime in kind of like a radio show almost. And uh, it, it's been it's been a fun year doing this. I uh, enjoyed a lot. Well, you do a terrific job. And thank you. And I uh, am so glad that you could join me 
this evening, and I want to wish you and your family uh, very happy holidays. And uh, as I said, well, I hope we can do it again. I mean, yeah, I'd definitely. love to have you on our round table one night. That would absolutely, be and and the same yeah. to uh, you and your family. Happy holidays as well. I think we did meet once. On the Metzian Metzian podcast. podcast. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that was, <laughs> that a, was fun a lot time. of fun. <laughs> yeah, and and we all connect with each other. And I've had uh, Sam Maxwell on from the Metzian podcast, and mm-hmm. it's nice to connect with other Met fan creators that are out there. I mean, we all have the same passion for this team, right. and we just hope to see them. You know, as much passion as we have, we hope that the team has the passion on the field to win us a championship. Because <laughs> I was. I've never seen one, right? I was born, you'll get this, November 14th, 1986, a few weeks following <laughs> their last championship. So I have yet to see oh. one. I would love to see one soon. Well, I hate to admit it, but I've seen both of them. So <laughs> that's how old I am. But I go back to I go back to 62. I've seen the worst and and the best. So uh that's why people sometimes say to me, you know, uh, how can you not get too aggravated? And I said, because I, I saw the 62 Mets play. Once you saw them play, nothing can be uh, as aggravating. Uh, though, funny enough, they were not aggravating to watch. They were uh, hapless. They were almost funny at times, um, but very entertaining. <laughs> So, yeah, really... I, I think I'm in the same point as you are. Where like I, I'm above the aggravation right now. I, I know a lot of fans were upset this whole off season with the you know the general manager and the president of baseball operations who they're going to get in here, who's going to be the manager, and I'm just you know I've seen some of the worst of the Wilpon era, and like this is something fresh and new, and I, I'm just okay with you know following the journey, and and so far we're off to a good start. Uh, I, I cannot be, you know, upset about any of these candidates that become manager. I, I right. will say this, that, you know, for whoever, you know, all the Met fans that, you know, watch your show is don't be too, uh, don't be too upset if it's not Buck Showalter, like, and, right. and don't be surprised. The media has been pushing Buck Showalter this whole last couple of weeks. And it was just, it felt like too much pushing for me to the point where, yeah, they're going to go in a different direction. Yeah. But if it's Buck, great. But if it's not, I do feel like Espada has the best chance of succeeding here. And because of that, they're going to go with Matt Cattraro. So, uh, you know, it, just, <laughs> it could go either way. But I, I'm excited for any of them. Uh, I got to ask you, what? which World Series or which run for you of the Mets is your your favorite? Well, I, you know, I think I'm going to go with 1969 because it was so unexpected. It was, it, it really came out of nowhere. And, and don't forget, this was a team that was, what, eight and a half, nine games out of first place in what, July or something like that. And, and the, the comeback just, it, and to grind it, because it, it, it was a grind. It wasn't really, you know, this great ascension. It didn't feel like it, at least. It, it was, you know, they ground it out every day. And 
Um, but that to me, and I guess because it was the first, and you know, I was uh, what fifteen or sixteen at the time, so it had some some meaning. You know, was I wasn't like six or seven where I knew about it. I mean, I was a little older, so I I knew. Uh, what was going on and uh, that's that's really I think 69 that was special 86 was special in 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 that um, I actually went to I was at game seven when they won so for that that was special but and they kind of ran rough shot right they ran rough shot they just the entire season yeah, they over. dominated they destroyed everybody yeah, yeah. I, I feel like this iteration of the Mets like if they ever get the opportunity to win the championship, will fall closer to a sixty-nine than an eight. I, I can't see the Mets like dominating. Like the last time mm-hmm. the Mets dominated was two thousand six, and then they, you know, they, they they got injured and fell apart in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So they they yeah. dominated that whole season. I don't see the Mets even with Scherzer. I don't know. Like there's too many injuries involved. There's too many new things that have been added to baseball and different elements. That if I would be more surprised if they were to win than a full domination from them in, in the future. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree. It's 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 a different game now, and though that team did dominate towards the end of the the regular season and into the postseason, the '69 team uh, really did dominate. I mean, they dominated some really good teams. They they. You know, they played Atlanta in the, the first round of the play. There was only two rounds yeah. then, um, and and they dominated a team that had the like four Hall of Famers on it: Eddie Matthews and and Hank Aaron and uh, those guys. And then they, you know, of course the Baltimore team was a powerhouse, and they just they lost the first game and and dominated in the red. Dominant probably isn't a good word. Uh, doesn't describe it exactly, but they did find a way to beat them. And the pitching was what really got them through. I mean, Kuzman and Seaver and Ryan came in and, and uh, you know, pitched brilliantly in relief. And uh, Gentry, they, they had they had just a, a, such a great pitching staff. It was just amazing. But, yeah, to get back to your question, 69 would be my probably. And, you know, um, I've been lucky enough to interview some of the guys from that team, and there's just a total different feeling that those guys have for each other than that I think some of the eight. The 86 guys were um, a wild bunch, <laughs> you know, where there was a, a – there was some of the Yankees, the Bronx Zoo Yankees on that 86 uh, yeah. uh, team, whereas the 69 Mets were very, very close. And In fact, if you read the book, um, can't, Art Shamsky's book with uh, uh, about the um, going to see Tom Seaver, and you can get in, I can't think of the name of it. What's going on here? Uh, it, it's just, it's... It's a remarkable book, and it brought back a lot of memories for me, and uh, and and it just gives you a feeling of how close to this day these guys are, and uh, so to me, '69 was really uh, special. Yeah, well, hopefully we get to see something like that soon. I uh... hopefully. <laughs> I feel like I... they have such a 
they don't have a short window, but th- they have they do have this three year window with Scherzer. So mm-hmm. within the next three years, I would like them to get this this done because who knows? I I do assume that Jacob Degrom will return. I don't think that I don't think that um, Steve Cohen is going to let him leave. He's always talked about how Tom Seaver, what Tom Seaver meant to him. And we are kind of in the same spot, right? Obviously, you know, Tom Seaver is on another stratosphere of of what he was. But, for you know, for this day and age, you know, what Jacob deGrom means to this team and means to the fan base is kind of sort of similar right now. And if they just let him go, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that might be a, a, a dark day, uh, just like, you know, it was when they let Seaver go. But um, mm-hmm. hopefully that he stays with the Mets. But I, I do feel like they still have this kind of short three-year window. Forget him saying three to five years. I think it's the three years now because they got Scherzer and DeGrom's going to be older by that time as well. Uh, they, they, they've signed these short-term deals, so they got to get something done soon. Well, the thing I always hope for is is that now they've got a guy like Scherzer. Uh, if I'm a young pitcher anywhere in this organization and I'm in spring training, I'm watching Scherzer. I'm watching everything he does. I'm watching how he prepares himself for a season. I'm watching how he prepares for a ball game. I'm, I'm watching what he does after the game i'm i'm watching everything and i'm going to try to mimic that for a guy to pitch as long as he's pitched at his consistent level i mean 37 years old and yet he you know he was they were talking about Cy young again he was in the running in the early part of the year and uh i thought the interview with him was terrific they asked him about the arm fatigue he had a he had a perfectly logical explanation. Yep. Now some people say he's you know was uh, full of crap, but if you think about it, no, it's it's not. This is what the Atlanta Braves pitchers did for years. They threw through and through, and and you know Glavin, Smoltz, and and those guys, and none of them really had arm issues. And, and Nolan uh, Ryan, he pitched well into his forties. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just th- this is the thing about baseball that you know drives me nuts, right? The, these guys have pitched for so long, uh, and they pitch so many innings. Now you're starting to take them out to save them from injury, and there's more injuries now than there ever was before. So I don't and understand I- what they're doing that this is happening. I, I totally agree with him and what he said about him getting hurt. I mean, he he pitched in in the playoffs, and then they asked him on sh- I guess on short rest to come in and close out a game mm-hmm. and then he, he can't throw after that because you know, that messes up his schedule, his, his arm schedule. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't doubt that that happened at all. No, neither do I. So, um, we'll see, but that's what I would do. I'd be studying him, you know, like yeah. a textbook and, and learn from him. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you again. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And then, as I said, let's do it again in the future. And uh, uh, I will be back right after this. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. 
Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a Ph.D. in life through baseball? Welcome to Baseball Ph.D., a tour company for your brain. 30 major league teams, 100 places to see. Let's touch them all as we make the road trip of a lifetime. Follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Musings. On Twitter at Mets Musings GM. The Instagram is Mets Musings. And on YouTube at Mets Musings Mac. Wish to be a part of the show? Give us a call at 516 619 6341. And we're back. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with uh, Anthony Rivera. He does a great podcast, Subway to Shake. Go check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You know the usual suspects. So go check out Subway to Shake Podcast. And that's going to do it for this uh, week's episode. And not sure about next week. We'll have to see. We may have a Mets manager if that's happened. Uh, They'll probably put another episode out. But if I don't, have a happy holiday and a safe holiday. And we will see you again in 2022. Wow. Can't believe the year's almost over. So uh, remember, until it's either next time or next year, to keep the faith and stay optimistic. And let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musings.